This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Well, good morning. I'm so glad that um, I have the opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. And... Um, I'm just excited, so hopefully you're as excited as well. I believe the word that we have this morning is for all of us, no matter what age or gender we are, no matter what phase of life that we are in, um, I believe he has something for each one of you. And so as Pastor Bob prayed just a moment ago that we would receive what God has for us, I just encourage you right now to just lift up your hands and just say, Father, I receive exactly what you have for me today. Lord, I thank you that as I speak your word that I believe that you've given to me, Father, for this group of people today. Father, I pray that you touch each person exactly where they are. Let them hear exactly what you need them to hear. And Father, I pray that not only do they hear it, but God, that they choose to act upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so all of you guys know that um, I'm not a big fan of Pastor Bob's jokes. <laughs> he looks confused. What? So um, I'm not going to try to um, start out with a joke, but I do have a story that I would like to start out with this morning. So are you ready for this? Here we go. It says, two boys collected a bucket of nuts underneath a great tree inside a cemetery on the outskirts of town. When the bucket was full, they sat down out of sight to divide the spoils. One for you, one for me. One for you, one for me, said one boy, as the other watched intently. Their bucket was so full that some of the nuts had spilled out and rolled towards the fence. Am I sounding funny or is it just me? Do you want me to get a hand held or they're telling me no and y'all are saying yes? I'll finish my story, and if it's not cleared up by the end, I'll get a handheld. Sound cool? All right. So it was dusk, and another boy came riding along the road on his bicycle. As he passed, he thought he heard voices from inside the cemetery. He slowed down to investigate. Sure enough, he heard, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. The boy with the white knew what was happening, and his face went ghostly white. Oh my, he shuddered, it's Satan and the Lord dividing souls in the cemetery. He jumped back on his bike. He rode off desperately looking for a friend. Just around the bend, he met an old scowling man who hobbled along with a cane. Come with me quick, said the boy. You won't believe what I heard. Satan and the Lord are down at the cemetery dividing up the souls. The man said, beat it, kid. Can't you see it's hard for me to walk? But when the boy insisted, though, the man hobbled on down to the cemetery. When he arrived at the fence, they heard, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. Ready to have a little fun, the old man whispered, boy, you've been telling the truth. Let's go inside and see if we can see the devil himself. The child was horrified, but the old man was already taking his first step towards the gate. Then he heard, okay, that's the last of them, that's all. Now let's go down and get those two nuts by the fence, and we'll be done. <laughs> they say the old guy made it back to town five minutes ahead of the boy. So this is the opener for today. Today I'm going to talk about 
the power of a faithful friend. And I don't know what comes to mind to you when I say the power of a, what's a good friend to you? You know, what pops in your head? You know, I think probably depending on the season of life you're in, the phase of life, your struggles, your triumphs, that would probably all look a little bit different in this exact moment. But the reality is, is that we are all constantly looking for friendship. We are looking for friends. We are looking for relationship. You know, some of us are desperately seeking it out. Um, sometimes we're kind of like that person in the story, like struck with fear at that cemetery fence where, you know, we just like can't even get a word out and we're hoping that a friend may come alongside and help us. You know, sometimes maybe we're at that place where we don't feel like we have the legs to support ourselves, you know, and our heart's breaking and we need a friend or we need a companion to come along and help us. And so today I want to um, teach on probably a passage in scripture that most of you have heard, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9. And so if you want to open up your Bible to Acts chapter 9, I'm going to be referring to it throughout the entire message. Now, when I say that, or when you pull it up, you know, the headline may be, um, you know, Road to Damascus, or it may be talking about Saul. And I know some of you probably have heard at least the expression, maybe, about um, Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Um, but as we approach this story today, I want you to think about it a little bit different. I want you to think about it as we read it as um, what Saul was feeling, maybe from the point of loneliness. Because what, as we read, we'll see that within a matter of three days, Saul became lonelier than he had ever been. And he was probably begging God for a friend. And so as we approach this scripture, let's talk about who Saul was. All right, let's read right here. And this is in the message, verse 1 and 2. It says, All this time Saul was breathing down the necks of the master's disciples, out for the kill. He went to the chief priest and got arrest warrants to take to the meeting places in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. So this is a mean dude. He's out. He is persecuting believers, persecuting Christians. He is having them killed. And so right now he's on his way to Damascus, la, 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 with the intention to find some more people of the way so he can arrest them and imprison them. Yeah, sounds cool, huh? We might define that in our days as maybe a modern-day terrorist, right? Intentionally wanting to kill the believers. And so here he is, you know, thinking that this Christian thing is totally against. And see, this it said he went to the priest. Those were the religious people. They were what was known as what was normal to follow. And they granted it. Oh, yeah, go, go take, get them, bring them in, let's kill them. And so what we see on his road to Damascus, when you look it up, is that was a 120-mile journey. And so some say that, that probably took about six days to get from Jerusalem on his way to Damascus. And so let's read right here on what happens. So we know what his intention is. His intention is, I'm going to go get some people and kill them. <laughs> Verse 3, he sets off. When he got to the outskirts of Damascus, so, you know, he's coming right up to Damascus, right? He can see the town where he's been going for six days is like almost right there in his eyesight. He was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. As he fell to the ground, he heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? He said, who are you, master? I am Jesus, the one that you are hunting down. I want you to get up and enter the city. 
In this city, you will be told what to do next. Now, he wasn't alone, verse 7 right here. His companion stood there dumbstruck. I mean, what would you do? All of a sudden, bright light, dude falls on the ground. I mean, how would, I think I'd probably be like, okay, I would probably be like, where's the hidden camera? Like, am I on camera to see how I'd respond right now? Like, is this a joke? You know, I mean, dumbstruck. I mean, just in awe, like, what in the world is going on? They could hear the sound, but they could not see anyone. While Saul, picking himself up off the ground, I love that. It didn't say they helped him. So Paul got up on his own, found himself stone blind. Okay, what, what to you would stone blind mean? Can't see anything. I mean, you know, like we can close our eyes right now and we can still kind of see light. I think stone blind is probably like just pitch black, dark, can't see anything. Gets up, can't see anything, just black, dark said they had to take him by the hand and lead him to Damascus. He continued blind for three days. He ate nothing and he drank nothing. So what we see right here is his goal of going to Damascus to kill the Christians. God had a bigger plan for his life, didn't he? And it took striking him blind and down to get his point across. So, you know, as we're reading this right here, there's probably... Imagine you were him in this moment. What do you think would be going through your head? What do you think? I asked my husband this question because we have like two totally extremes when we perceive things. You know, and he's like, well, he's probably thinking everything I ever believed is not true. Is God going to take out his wrath on me? Is there going to be judgment on me? Will I ever see again? Um, Maybe a lot of possibly fear could have come in in that moment of just the unknown What's going to happen? What's going to take place? Um, I think maybe loneliness could have sunk in, grief, despair, anxiety, fear. You know, as I was reading this, um, actually, I'll go to that in just a moment. My point today that I want to get across is in the depths of Paul's loneliness, God was about to reveal the power of a faithful friend. Saul was about to meet, in fact, two of the best friends that he would ever have. And so we're going to talk about those two friends today, and we're going to see what we can learn from them. And so right here, the first person, the first friend that the Lord sent to him was who? Is Ananias. The Lord commanded Ananias to go to Saul. Now, let me tell you, I don't think Ananias was too excited about that. (laughs) He had heard, he knew what this dude had done. So let's read right here in verse 10. It said, There was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. The master spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, master, he answered. Get up and go over to Straight Avenue. Now, I looked up what Straight Avenue was because I was just curious. And let's just say it was like within Damascus, it was the main street where a lot of activity took place. So it was the happening place within the city. So he's like, go on over to Straight Avenue and ask at the house of Judas for a man named from Tarsus. His name is Saul. He is there praying. He has just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house, lay hands on him so that he could see again. So here we see God's talking to Saul, and he's also talking to Ananias. I love how God works. So right here, verse 13, Ananias protested, Master, you cannot be serious. Everybody is talking about this man and the terrible things that he's been doing. 
his reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with the papers from the priest to give him the license to do the same thing to us that he's just been doing. Verse 15, but the master said, do not argue, go. I have picked him as my personal representative to the non-Jews and kings and Jews. And now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes with the job. That whole verse there could preach a whole other message about serving the Christian life, that it's not just a bed of daisies and roses, that there's going to be suffering. But we're not going to stick with that. Let's go to verse 17. So Ananias went went and found the house, placed his hands on blind Saul, and said, Brother Saul, the master sent me. The same Jesus you saw on your way here, he sent me to you. He sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than something like scales from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got to his feet, he was baptized, and he sat down with them for a hearty meal. So we just read that passage, right? So now let's look at a few things that we maybe can learn from this. Number one, and this is in your notes, you can fill it in, is that a faithful friend is there. A faithful friend is present. A faithful friend is one who will encourage. And so, right now, everybody just think of maybe your top two or three best friends. Besties, whatever you want to call them. Just think of who they are. Where did you meet them? You know, maybe it's somebody from work. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's somebody from Bible study or church or a small group. Here's the thing is, it's somebody you've spent some time with, right? It's somebody that you have invested in and they have invested in you. Um, And it's probably somebody that has been there for you during your toughest times. You know, how many stories have we heard that when things get rough, that best friend is right there. If it means, you know, I, I'll never forget, you know, my dad passed, I think it was almost three years ago, and a couple of my friends from here, and he lived in Houston, a couple of my friends were like, well, we're going to drive down for the funeral to be there for you. That's a faithful friend. Now, I told them not to stay, and they could do much more, like, you know, clean my house and get some meals ready for when I got back. <laughs> but, you know, they were a faithful friend. They were there. They were present. They were willing to set aside their time, what was going on in their life. You know, um, how many times maybe have you ever had to go to that doctor's appointment that you just didn't want to go to, and so a faithful friend didn't go to work that day or took a vacation day so that they could go and be with you? The thing is is that a faithful friend is there. They are present. They are with you when needed. A friend's going to be with you any time. Now, something I kind of find interesting as we look at this, you know, because we're talking about friends. We usually choose our friends, right? You know, normally somebody just become your best friend, like, by accident. You know, you're like, eh, we fit, we don't fit. But about this scripture, what did we see that happened? Did Ananias know Saul? No. What did God, we see God said, go be his friend. You know, and I love in scripture, we see over a half a dozen times that Jesus said, Love your enemies. Don't you love that? Yeah, that person annoys me. I got to love them. And then right here in Luke 6, 35, it says, do good to them 
and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And so what I love is that Ananias, he didn't know the whole picture. He didn't know God's total plan, but he was willing to be obedient. And his obedience created a relationship that affects our Christian walk today because of his life from then on. You know, and you got to think, Ananias probably already had friends. He was definitely scared when he went, but what did he do? He obeyed. He overcame his fear, and he went. And so point number one is what? I didn't hear you. What? Faithful friend is there. There is power in a personal visit. Do we have any salesmen in here? Anybody sells? All right, we've got one. If Zach was here, he'd be like, yes. Oh, there we are, Joe. Three. Three people, salesmen, saleswomen. If you asked any of them, they would say that they probably get more rewards, sales, commission when they make a face-to-face call than on the telephone or then an email or then like over the internet or something. You know, there is something about that personal visit. I've got a little story right here. It says, a young boy was sent to the corner store by his mother to buy a loaf of bread. He was gone much longer than it should have taken. When he finally returned, the mother asked, where have you been? I have been worried sick about you. Well, he answered, there was a little boy by the side of the road with a broken bicycle who was crying, so I stopped to help him. So the mom said, well, I didn't know that you knew anything about fixing bikes. (laughs) And the little boy said, I don't. I replied, I just stayed there to cry with him. (laughs) You know, sometimes you don't even have to have the words. Just being there, just being present, just being there can be a blessing. You know, and so we've got to make sure that we are being an encourager, that we are coming alongside to help somebody else out. And um, I love this. I found this in a newspaper. They um, did a contest to see for the best definition of what a friend was. And um, here's the answer that won. It said, a friend is one that comes when everyone else goes. A faithful friend is there, and a faithful friend is an encouragement to you. So the second type or characteristic I want to look at is a faithful friend knows the power of a gentle touch. Now, when you go into a new setting, how do you generally greet somebody? Handshake, hug, some countries it's a kiss, some it's two kisses. I don't think we should go for that here. We'll just keep it at a handshake. You know, some it's a bear hug. But, you know, it's touch. Usually a greeting comes with some form of a touch. A touch can show sympathy. It can show friendship. um, It can show a lot of things. Touch can bring so much. And so right here in Acts 9, 17, what does it say that he did? It said, then Ananias went to the house and entered, placing his hands on Saul. Interesting, Saul had come to Damascus to literally bind the hands of Ananias. But what does God use? Ananias' hands to bring freedom and healing and understanding and restoration to that moment. Before Saul heard the word from Ananias, a stranger, before he knew the answers to the question, he felt a touch on his shoulder. He then turned towards that voice, His blind eyes trying to focus on that face, a touch that met him right where he was at. A faithful friend knows how to hold someone when he or she is hurting, how to communicate love with a touch. Don't underestimate the power 
of a gentle touch. And I was trying to think of an example to illustrate this, and I don't know if I'm like any of you all, but, you know, sometimes when I'm in a funk or I'm in a mood or I'm just, like, really emotional and, you know, we're laying in the bed, you know, um, what my husband has learned, I think, you can nod if you agree with this, is that, you know, he used to just wanted to fix it with words, but what he has learned is if he just turns over and puts his arms around me and I can cry and I can boo-hoo and I can not say a word, that's all I want. It brings me what I need, you know. And so that gentle touch at a right moment of knowing your friend needs it is important. A faithful friend embraces you when you need it the most. Number three, a faithful friend speaks the right words at the right time. They exhort you. I love this right here. Actually, I got a trivia question. What was the second name that Saul was given in Scripture? If we look at this, he actually called him Brother Paul when Ananias was talking to him. It's kind of tricky, I know. But he actually said Brother Paul when he spoke to him. And could you imagine in that moment... Just hearing the word brother Paul, what kind of maybe peace it could have given him in that moment? Possibly. Especially back then, those terms were used a whole lot more than maybe they are today. You know, it may not seem like a big deal to us, but you can. I don't even know where I'm going with that. You can something. Say a simple word in a moment that can make a big difference. A true friend will help you, and I love this part. You know, we're talking about speaking the right words at the right time. That's not always saying the words they want to hear. (laughs) A true friend will help you do what you ought to, even if you don't want to hear it. They seek to bring you strength. A true friend will seek to strengthen you so you might tackle those difficult things in a life that you know you ought to do but cannot somehow find the strength to do. So I've got a story right here for you. Um, it's actually a true story. Um, anybody ever heard of um, General U- Ulysses S. Grant? Anybody ever heard of him? All right. He was a man who, Ulysses Grant had a man who was a true friend to him like this. His friend's name was John A. Rawl- Rawlins. He was the general's chief of staff. It was Rawlins that Grant gave the, priv- the pledge that he would abstain from alcohol. When he broke his pledge, Rollins went to Grant, and with great earnestness, he pleaded with him and successfully persuaded him to reaffirm his commitment to turning away from liquor. Now, today, in front of the Capitol building, go back to that other picture, in Washington, D.C., there stands a monument of General Grant sitting on his horse in his little dramatic pose. But the thing is, is at the end of Pennsylvania Avenue... A little bit to the south, in Rollins Park, where there's another statue, which is right here. A very ordinary, commonplace-looking statue of John A. Rollins, the man responsible for keeping General Grant from falling off his horse. You see, dealing with the crippling effects of alcohol abuse in his life was something that he knew he ought to do. But he couldn't find the strength to do it on his own. But a true friend named Rollins came alongside to exhort him to help him find the strength that he needed to do what he ought to do. 
And not only was Grant better for it, but so was the nation. I've got a quote right here. This is from a carpenter. Don't know him. He said, a friend is someone who tells me the truth about me. I want to know when my work stinks or I'm being hurtful or stupid. I expect my friends to save me from myself. I think we need to all want that within our friendships. I think sometimes we want to surround our plate surround ourselves with people like, oh, you're so great, you're so wonderful, you can do it, which is great. But at the same time, you need a friend that's going to be like, mm-mm, your attitude stinks and you need to get it right. The way you just spoke to them, uh-uh. The way you went to work late, that does not honor God. You need to have a friend that is going to speak the truth to you in love, knowing that their motive is to propel you forward to be more like Christ, not to tear you down. It's because they love you. It's because they want to see you be all that God wants you to be. I've got two Proverbs here. Um, right here, Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What does that mean? Basically, rebuke or correction from a friend is a sign of love. Try to remember, remind yourself of that the next time somebody wants to bring some correction. Say, what's the heart? Are they attacking me? Or is this because they really love me and they really know what's best for me? And you guys have all heard this one, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know, that needs, it needs to work both ways. <laughs> you need to be able to give it. You need to be able to take it. A faithful friend tells you what you ought to know and then helps you do what you ought to do to correct it. A true friend exhorts. Number four, a faithful friend does not waver. Got another story for you right here. I love this one. It says, in 1967, Stu Weber was in the U.S. Army Ranger School at Fort Benning, Georgia. It was a brutal training for brutal times. The war with Vietnam was the backdrop for the young men trying to survive the heat, humidity, and the rigors of camp. Anybody ever experienced that? We got any? Nobody? Boot camp? Okay, I know some of you aren't raising your hand. I know you've experienced it. Yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it's tough. Now this guy is a pastor and author. Weber writes of the day that the raspy voice of the drill sergeant barked out his first passionate speech. We are here to save your lives, he told the young men headed for combat. First, we're going to see to it that you overcome all your natural fears. Second, we are going to show you just how much incredible stress the human mind and body can endure. And when we're finished with you, you will be the U.S. Army's best, America's best. You will be confident, you will survive, even in combat, and you will accomplish your mission. Before he dismissed the formation, the sergeant gave Weber and his fellow recruits their first assignment. These guys were so ready. They, you know, they had prepared. They were ready to, you know, go run 10 miles with their backpacks on. They were in, you know... Imagine rappelling from one place to another, off a cliff. So what could, what's this tough order that he's going to give us first? And here's what he said. Find yourself a ranger buddy, he growled. You will stick together. You will never leave each other. And you will encourage each other. And as necessary, you will carry each other. So basically, it was the Army's way of saying difficult assignments require a friend. Together is better. God didn't create us to be alone. He created us for relationship with him and for relationship with others. And a true friend 
does not waver. They're going to stick with you. They're going to be right there. So I told you we're going to talk about two people today. The first one we talked about was who? Ananias. Second person that we're going to talk about that was a friend to Saul was, does anybody know? Barnabas is who we're going to talk about. It was Barnabas. And so what you see is after he had that experience, it said he, what, got baptized. Um, he started going and teaching. Um, and then part of the story talks about how basically then people were out to get him. They found out about it. They lower him down in a basket to get him out of the town. And so now he's on his way back to Jerusalem, you know, that 120-mile journey. You know, what do you think he might have thought in those moments? You know, wow, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, the place where, you know, who was born, where the disciples are at. You know, I'm going to get to meet all these people that have done all these great works. You know, I just can't wait to get there. And so he gets there in Acts 9, 29. It says the disciples were hiding from Saul. They had heard that he had become a believer, but they didn't believe it. So here he is all excited. Yes, I love Jesus. I'm serving him. I'm going to go meet all the people. Nobody, right? Nobody there. And so at this point, Saul needed a friend to stand with him. And he didn't have far to look. Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles. And right here in verse 27 and 28, it said, He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly the name of the Lord. So a faithful friend stands with you. They stand up for you. And they don't waver within their support. You know, you see, as you study out a little bit more about Barnabas there is, you know, he was there for a short time, and then Saul actually went off to be alone for a couple years and studied to get to know the word better, and then Barnabas actually went back to him, went to find him, and then the two of them ministered together. And as you study, I mean, we know he wrote how many books of the Bible? I mean, you know, corrected churches, did great things because these two stayed together. And even as you study, is they didn't always agree with one another, but they still would consider themselves to be the best of friends. And so a faithful friend does not waver, they endure with you. And so number five, a faithful friend will seek to bring success to you. They will empower you. You know, we all have things in our lives that need to be addressed in order that we might be the success that God has in mind for us. Often, we don't like hearing this, but often it involves change of our character development. And a true friend will help us with that. So I've got one last story here that I want to read to you all. And this one's a little bit lengthy, but it totally demonstrates this example. It says, back in the, and this is a true story, back in the 15th century in a tiny village near Nuremberg lived a family with 18 children. I just say, help that mama. 18. In order merely to keep food on the table for his mob, the father and head of the household, a goldsmith by profession, worked almost 18 hours a day at his trade. And every, anything he could do, paying chores, he could find in the neighborhood. Despite their seemingly hopeless condition, two of Albert Durer's, the elder children, had a dream. They both wanted to pursue their talent for art, but they knew full well that their father was not going to be able to pay for it. He just, there's no way he could do it, pay for academy. So after many long discussions at night in their crowded bed, the two boys finally worked out a pact. 
They would toss a coin. The loser would go down into the nearby mines and with his earnings support his brother while he attended the academy. Then what the other brother who won the toss would get to complete his studies in a four-year program. He would support the other brother at the academy, either with sales of his artwork or, if necessary, by laboring in the mine. They tossed the coin on a Sunday morning after church. Albert won the toss and went off to Nuremberg. Albert went down into the dangerous mines, and for the next four years, he financed his brother, whose work at the academy was almost an immediate sensation. Albert's etchings, his woodcuts, and his oils were far better than those of the most of his professors. And by the time he graduated, he was beginning to earn considerable fees for his commissioned work. When the young artist returned to his village, the Durer family held a festive dinner on their lawn to celebrate Albert's triumphant homecoming. After a long memorable meal punctuated the music and laughter, Albert rose from his honored position at the head of the table to drink a toast to his beloved brother for the years of sacrifice that had enabled him to fulfill his ambition. His closing words were, And now, Albert, blessed brother of mine, now it is your turn. Now you can go to Nuremberg to pursue your dream, and I will take care of you. All heads turned in eager expectation to the far end of the table where Albert sat. Tears streaming down his pale face, Shaking, he lowered his head from side to side while he sobbed and repeated over and over, no, 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 no. Finally, Albert rose, wiped the tears from his cheeks. He glanced down the long table at the faces that he loved. And then out holding his hands close to his right cheek, he said softly, no, brother, I cannot go to Nuremberg. It's too late for me. Look, look what four years in the mines have done to my hands. The bones in every finger have been smashed at least once, and lately I've been suffering from arthritis so badly in my right hand that I cannot even hold a glass to return your toast, much less make a delicate lines on parchment or canvas with a pen or brush. No, brother, for me, it is too late. Now, hundreds of years have passed. You want to put that picture up? Anybody see that? Anybody recognize that? Right here, this is Albert Durer's hundreds, he's had hundreds of masterful portraits. But this one right here he made, and he called it hands in honor of his brother. And now, today, most of us call it the praying hands. What sacrifice, right? What sacrifice? Right here in John 15, 13, it says, This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You see, a faithful friend will seek to bring success to you and to empower you. This is my conclusion number one. I have two. Don't you love that I prepare you for that? Is it your desire to have a friend like that? You know, maybe I've been talking about this today and you're like, I ain't got a friend like that. Is it your desire to be that kind of friend? If it is, then you must seek to relate to others in your life in such a way that you bring support, strength, and success to them. And let me tell you, one way that you can do that here at Harvest is by small groups. And, you know, five or ten years ago, if you would have told me that, I'd have been like, okay, yeah, whatever. 
But I can tell you firsthand that being a part of small groups here at Harvest has changed my life. It has changed my relationships. It has helped me understand what friendship is and what friendship should be. And so as today is our day that we launch out small groups for 2016, and you're sitting here, it's not by accident that I taught about friendship. The Lord desires for you to be this friend, and the Lord desires for you to have friends like that. But you, it doesn't just happen. It's not going to a little fear go, bing, and just a friend happens. It requires something on your part. And so when you choose to be a part of a small group here at Harvest, here's what I promise you you'll get. Except for five points, but worded a little different. You will be encouraged. You will be embraced. You will be exhorted. You will be endured. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, with our faults. We're still accepted. And you will be empowered. And so, you know, if you're desiring in any way whatsoever, man, get join us, be a part of a small group. They will change your life. They will change your marriage. They will change your kids. They will change your understanding of who God is. Um, they're vital. And so I'm just telling you, be there. And actually, I love what Pastor Bob said, kind of well, the word he shared all ago before we started, because I wanted to say this, but then I was like, eh, maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to say it because of what you told me. Um, anybody in here over 50? Okay. We need y'all. So many times I've heard from people over 50 and even some younger, well, I've done my time. Oh, they don't need me. Oh, I'm retired. No, we need you. We need you to step up. We need you to position yourself in a play where you can give out the wisdom that God's placed, where we can learn from your experiences. And so I'm asking you today, if you're in that group, Seek God. Lord, would you have me be a part of a small group? Would you have me mentor somebody? I will be inconvenienced. I will stay up a little bit later. I will drive when maybe it's not comfortable because this church, this family, this body needs me. And so I just want to encourage you all this morning. I felt that as I was teaching, and when he said I felt like I had the liberty to share that, is, you know, don't let age be an excuse for not being a friend. You know, when I look at when I look at some of my closest friends, <laughs> you know, how many of you are over 50? <laughs> you know, quite a few. You know, um, it's worth the investment. You know, I, us young folks need you older folks. You older folks need us younger folks to kind of help with the edges a little bit sometimes and make you a little uncomfortable. We need each other. And so, Let's be that friend, and let's not define it as somebody that's my own age that looks like me. Let's define it as, God, who do you want me to associate with that I can better for your glory or that can better me for your glory? Closing number two. Charlie Brown, so serious, asked Linus, what would you do if you felt that nobody liked you? Linus responded, well, Charlie Brown, I guess I could take a real hard look at myself. This makes me sound like something Charles McGee would say. Yeah, Charles, you. Well, let me take a real hard look at myself and ask, if I'm doing anything that turns people off, how can I improve myself? Do I need to change in some way? Yep, that's my answer, Charlie Brown. I love this part. 
Charlie Brown says, I hate that answer. <laughs> Here's the thing. You might hate Linus's answer as well, but it's also God's answer. If I am to have friends, I must be a friend. I went out to find a friend, but could not find one there. I went out to be a friend, and they were everywhere. Who do you know who needs you to be a true friend to them today? Who do you know that needs your support? Who is someone who needs to be helped to succeed in doing what they need to do? Let's close our eyes. Lord, I thank you so much for this word. Lord, I thank you that even as we prayed when we began, that we prayed that you would speak to every single person. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you speak to every single person. And I know that part of my prayer was that not only would they learn something, but they would choose to act upon it. And so I encourage every single one of you right now as you're sitting there, what is that action that God's wanting you to do? What is that action? What is, he, what is that step that he's wanting you to take? And if you're in here and you would say, I need a friend like what you talked about today, I just want you to lift your hand up. You say, I need a friend. Yep, man, raise them high. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. I need a friend like that. Okay, hands down. If you would say, I want to be a friend like that to somebody, I want you to lift your hands up. All over the place, almost every single hand up. God, I thank you for this word this morning, Father. I thank you that this isn't going to just be a Sunday morning, we hear the word and we go away. God, I pray that you remind each one of us every single day on how we can act out this word, how we can be a friend, how we can be faithful friends in every situation. And I want to do one more thing real quick. You know, we talked about friendship. Keep your eyes closed. We talked about friendship, but there's one friendship that you have to have to be this friend that we talked about. And that is having a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you're in here today and you have never called upon the Lord, Jesus Christ, to be your Lord and Savior, and you're like, you know what? I am ready for that friendship. I want him to have my back. I want him to be there for me. If that's you, you've never called upon him. Or maybe you have, but you haven't put him first. I just want you to lift your hands up right now. If that's you, I want to call upon the name of Jesus to be my best friend. Thank you, Father, for those hands. Anybody else? I want everybody to stand up right now. I want to invite our prayer partners to come on down. And for those couple of you that raised your hands to say that you wanted to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior or you wanted to make it right again, I want you to come down right now. I know it's a little different, but if that's you, I want you to come down, and I want you to partner and pray with somebody. Can you raise your hand? If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662 890 1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.